This recording begins with a reading of the Gospel of the Day. That will be followed by the homily from Father Paul O'Brien. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. The Gospel of the Lord. That passage is Matthew 22, 34 to 40. It's what we're all invited to focus on in our reading and our reflection in the upcoming week. That's a passage that actually is familiar to most Christians. It's so familiar that it's one I find it can go in one ear and out the other. And I can think, I, I know that. Basically, I know that. That's very dangerous because that passage is always meant to be a revelation, whether you're new to this faith or whether you've been practicing this for 90 years. So to remind you, we're in the section of Matthew where Jesus has entered Jerusalem. In just a few days, he is going to be killed by his enemies, and he's going to rise from the dead, through which he's going to bring salvation to this fallen, sinful world. Matthew emphasizes, and we've been hearing for several weeks on Sundays, certain religious leaders who are absolutely opposed to Jesus, so much so that they're the ones who plot and lead to his death. So where we dropped off last week, Jesus was speaking to a group of Pharisees, probably the most prominent sect within Judaism at Jesus's time. There's an intervening set of verses, which you can read when you go home this week, where a group of Sadducees, another group within Judaism at Jesus's time, they go after Jesus because they think that his teaching about the resurrection of the dead is ridiculous. He goes right back at them just with straightforward logic, and he silences them. It's not a bad thing. They hear just in a logical way why what he's saying actually makes sense. So we pick up here. The Pharisees have heard that the Sadducees have been silenced by Jesus. So their response is they continue to plot against Jesus. They get together and they come back to Jesus and they want to ask him a question that again is hopefully going to get him in trouble with other Jewish people. They want to provoke Jesus into saying something that will get him in trouble. And what they use is the law. By the law, they mean what we would, for us as Christians, are the first five books of the Old our Old Testament. It's called the Pentateuch. So the five our first five books of the Old Testament have commandments in them. There are 613 commandments, later Jewish scholars count, in those five books of the Scripture. 613 commandments. If you're a faithful Jewish person 2,000 years ago or today, you take those commandments very seriously, as do we. The commandments, even if some of them are primitive and they're about detailed things, this is a very chaotic world and it's a brutal world. Gaza is showing us these days, I would say, the reality of this world. This is how people behave. The commandments in a chaotic, brutal world are revelations from God to try to get people's lives in order, to pull people into God and to show them how to love one another. 
So 613 commandments, that's a lot of commandments. If you take them seriously, you have a lot of questions. How do I keep track of all of these commandments? So some of them are positive. We actually heard that as an example in the first reading today from Exodus. Some are positive. You shall do this or that. 248 of the 613 are positive. 365, one for every day of the year, are negative. You shall not do this or that. So again, if you take this seriously, some of these are about really big things, life and death issues, really major moral decisions. Some of them are about very small things, how you use utensils, how you do ritual washings. By the way, very significant things just to remind you of God's presence all through the day, ideally in everything you do. So some of them are really big, some of them are really small. How do, how do I balance these? And another really sincere question from any Jewish person or Christian person reading those, is any commandment the greatest? Is there one commandment that makes sense of all of them? Is there one commandment somehow that they all hang on this one? So even though the person asking the question of Jesus is entirely insincere and trying to get him into trouble, it's a very good question. It's not an unusual question among Jewish people. So teacher, he says to Jesus, he doesn't consider Jesus a teacher at all. Once again, evil people lie from the get-go. Teacher, tell us which commandment of the law is the greatest. You get the trap here? If Jesus says it's this commandment, then hopefully they'll say, well, he's not paying attention to those commandments. If he says it's that commandment, they hopefully will be able to say, well, he's saying that those commandments don't matter at all. It's another trap. Jesus does very much the same thing that we heard him do last week. He knows the trap. He does not set step into the trap. In fact, he reveals the truth. And in his response to the trap question, he offers a teaching that is meant to guide every day of our lives. So he answers it directly. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's from Deuteronomy. You shall love God with the entirety of your being. Jesus says that is the first and greatest commandment. Then the novelty of what he teaches here is the second. So he makes it a double commandment is like it. And he quotes the book of Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the prophets depend on those two commandments, Jesus says. So just on the level of detail, he doesn't step into the trap. Nobody can object to what he said. He holds up these two commandments together as the greatest commandment. He doesn't say anything about the other 611. They can't get him in trouble on this one. So he avoids the trap. Much more importantly, he gives this teaching. If you and I can accept this teaching and keep this teaching and have it right in front of us, it is in fact meant to be the guide in growing every day of our lives as Christians. So as you begin your reflection this week, let me give you a couple of thoughts to get going on this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, every single inch of your being. Think about this question before you answer it. Think about this question before you answer it. Please raise your hand, it's not even a question, this request, if you currently love God 
with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Think for a second. Raise your hand if you love God with every fiber of your being. Oh, so wrong, so wrong, absolutely, ridiculously, almost perversely wrong. You've got to be kidding. We are created only out of God's love. Human beings are created, and whether you like this or not, all that matters is whether we return love to God. All that life is, is God breathing God's life into us, which is love. And all that matters for our being, for our meaning, for our fulfillment and our eternal life, all that matters is loving God. But it is a fallen, sinful world. Some of you people whom we call losers apparently think that you're perfect. Some of you seem to think that you love God with your entirety of your beings. Let me tell you, not true. I've seen you people on the streets. You don't love God with the entirety of your being, nor do I. Nobody does. Unless your name is the Blessed Virgin Mary, you do not love God with the entirety of your being. Why am I going on about this? Because it's the first commandment. It is not something we achieve, it is a reality in which we grow. You never, and I am never going to get to a point where I can, and I know you just are all hung over this morning, that's why you raised your hands. You are never going to get to the point that you perfectly love God until heaven, hopefully, but you're meant to grow every day of your life, as am I, in knowing and living God's love. Why does this matter? In one extreme, and I don't think this is that common anymore, there really are people who, when they think about that, and don't just have some obnoxious priest throwing something at them early in the morning, who say, yeah, 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 I love God perfectly. So crazy, because presumably, then you think everything is fine, and you just kind of stop there. Very, very dangerous. If somebody loved God with the entirety of his or her being, there would not be, well, they'd be sent to Gaza to fix things. On the other extreme, which is much more common, I can be very aware of my sinfulness and my lack of loving God. Very important to observe, totally important to address, but I can get stuck there. I can get so focused on the limitations of my love of God that I don't grow today. For whatever observations I have about my limited love for God, it's supposed to lead me to growing in love of God today. Being a Christian is meant to always be dynamic, always about growth. So how do you love God? Some ways we love God directly, by praying, giving God time, by listening to God, particularly through the scripture and the teaching of the church, by praising God, by worshiping God. Hopefully the primary reason we're all here this morning is to love God together directly. But most of the way we love God, as shown by Jesus, is by loving other people. Jesus spends a lot of time in communion with his Father, but most of the hours of his day, obviously, are spent loving other people. Hence, I presume, the second half of the great love commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, just a couple of notes to get you thinking this week. So your neighbor, Jesus teaches, is everybody, not a certain group of people, not a limited group of people. Every single person you encounter on this planet, particularly the least of your brothers and sisters. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
in the Bible, there is not a paragraph, not a sentence, not a word that has any hint of our modern idea that somehow to love other people, I need to first love myself, like respect myself, have self-worth, have self-identity. You know, you hear people who say, you really can't love other people until you love yourself. Those people smoke a lot of weed. Those people, I understand where they're coming from, but it's absolutely nonsense. Think about this. Michael, if you are waiting for me to respect myself before I love you, you may be waiting a very long time. And if you're hungry right now, that's not going to be helpful whatsoever. The scripture, when it says love your neighbor as yourself, means love other people as God loves people. We heard it again in the first reading. God loves us with compassion. God loves us with mercy. God is involved in every single moment of our lives. God sees our vulnerabilities, our problems, our weaknesses. God cares, which is compassion. God enters in, which is compassion, and God gives. That's what a Jewish or Christian person gets from God. Love your neighbor as yourself means look around, just look around this church. You can see people's vulnerabilities, even if you don't know one another. You can see people's problems. You can see people's issues. To love your neighbor is to recognize those realities, enter in, and give, sacrificially give to address those realities. This is such good news. It means that if I am a very sinful person or a very good holy person, I can love my neighbor right now. All I have to do is start. If I'm a very godly person or I'm just getting somewhere near God, I can love God more right now by loving my neighbor as myself right now. I don't need any money. I don't need any holiness. I don't need any good looks. Lucky for me, I don't need anything other than loving. That is salvation. You have been listening to Father Paul O'Brien, pastor of St. Patrick Parish in Lawrence, Massachusetts. For more information about the parish and to get involved, please go to stpatrickparish.com or follow us on social media. Thank you for listening.